church, pray with me as I pray. Father, I just thank you that um, we stand here today um, knowing that um, it is by your power alone that we're able to stand before you. We gather today because we want to be reminded of who you are, of your power, your glory, your goodness, your grace. So what I do pray that as we continue to worship you in the word and we see uh, more about who you are and what you've done, that we would not lose sight of you in the details of all that is around us. And at the same time, that the details of all that is around us would press us into you more because, because we are made in your image. And we gather for your glory in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word of God. Then God said, let us, oh, Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make people in our image to be like ourselves. They will be masters over all life, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the livestock, wild animals, and small animals. So God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and told them, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Be masters over the fish and birds and all the animals. And God said, look, I have given you the seed-bearing plants throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given all the grasses and other green plants to the animals and birds for their food. And so it was. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was excellent in every way. This all happened on the sixth day. Sorry. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grab your Bibles. Um, as I said, we're in a series that we're calling What Christians Believe, and we're going to jump right into it and talk about um, one of the things that Christians believe is that God exists. So the question then becomes, how do we know? And that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we know God exists? Because um, just to give you, uh, many of you know my background, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but um, I did not always believe that. What Kinsey just read, even the songs that we just sang, the fact that we're all here gathered would have been just strange talk to me for most of the first half of my 50-something years. So into my early and mid-20s, um, I was a God-mocking atheist. My background is I, was a sci I, I went to school, my undergraduate degree is in biology and chemistry. I was a science teacher. I did, so I didn't just believe in atheism. I taught evolution. And so, um, so, so this topic in particular, like I could spend all day on, and that's why I'm asking you to pray, um, one, that we would not look at our watches, including me, but two, that God would keep me on pace, because um, I am very passionate about this particular topic, because I didn't believe God existed, right? I would look at all, I, I taught how all of us could come into existence apart from God. And, and so I, I want to, I as we're talking about how do we know God exists, I, guys, I want to be sure of a couple of things. One, that, that it strengthens our faith, but two, that it doesn't harden our heart towards those people who, don't, who deny God. Because all of us, apart from the Holy Spirit, are those people who deny God's existence. And I was that person. So although I will tend to sometimes sound like, well, how ridiculous it is to think this way, I have to be reminded that I thought this way, I thought as a God-mocking atheist for many, many years. And it's only by the grace of God that I don't. And so um, just be praying that we stay on target here. So with that, open up your, um, not just your, not your Bibles just yet, but your bulletins. Pull out your insert. One of the things you'll see is the front of the insert doesn't have an outline on it. That's because I don't really know where exactly where this is going. 
right? And so I, I want to leave it as much space there as possible for you to write down exactly what sticks out to you because that way you can be writing down the things that might help you better engage in conversation about this topic of how do we know God exists or not. On the back, there are some pretty detailed um, talking points. So let's look at the first one together. So the first talking point is this. It says, the world has been denying God's existence for millennia. What we see today is nothing new. Like atheism is not a new thing. What are some arguments against the existence of God? So I'm asking, what, is, what are some arguments against the existence of God? What? We can't see him? There's evil in the world. We're going to talk about that next week. Bad things happen to good people. We'll talk about that next week too. What else? Some things against God, the existence of God. Did he really build it in seven days? Does that really make sense? Like, we're science people now. Like, we're part of the Enlightenment, right? And so, so how can we possibly believe that, that the biblical account of creation um, is accurate? And we'll talk a little bit about that today, although that will come up more on Wednesday I am sure. So part of it is just this idea of like, like hasn't science, hasn't the Big Bang, hasn't the theory of evolution disproved the need for God to exist? And that's really what we're going to focus on a, a lot today. Can't see him, um, existence of evil, all the things you just talked about. So here's, my, here's another question I want you to think about that's going to sort of, that's going to envelop our whole conversation this morning. Why do we hold a higher standard to proving God exists than any other thing in our life. And, I mean, and I'm not speaking in hyperbole. I mean this literally. Why do we hold a higher standard? And, and even if you're a believer and you believe he exists, we can put this like, why do you hold a higher standard for what God is or isn't doing in your life than any other area of your life? Why do we, what, what's, what's in us, and you can't just say sin, right? But what's in us that, that causes that? Pride, okay. What? Fear of the unknown. The high, he is the highest standard. Ultimately, it comes down to all of those things, which really, in a word, is control. Guys, what we're going to talk about today, about whether God exists or not, is not an argument of creation. It's an argument of control. And it always has been, from the very beginning. So, um, one other thing I just want to make sure I point out or make clear before is, is guys, I am, I am now, having been a believer for 20 plus years, I am 100% certain God exists. Like there is no part of me that doubts in any way that God exists. And we'll talk about how we can know that today. That's what we're here to talk about. But guys, I also want you to understand something. I cannot prove that God exists. There is a difference. I cannot give you 100, I can give you proofs of his existence, but I cannot 100% prove that God exists. But I don't have to, because nobody can 100% prove that he doesn't. In fact, there is nothing we can 100% prove outside of maybe the basics of mathematics, that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And even then, that's getting a little doubtful these days, apparently. So, this idea of 100% proof goes back to that second question, that other question on the talking point was, why do we, well, unless you can 100% prove it to me, I won't believe it. Because that's who I was before I came to faith in Christ. I don't believe it because I can't, you can't prove it. And yet, there are, there, even back then as an atheist, there were innumerable things in my life that I absolutely believed were true, but I could not 100% prove. It, it isn't about proof. It's about control. 
It really is about pride, right? That's the biggest problem that we have today. So today's question is more pastoral, I think, than it is... um, than it is apologetic. Like apologetics is an argument for something. And by the way, having an argument for something and arguing with people is not the same thing. We're going to talk about having good arguments, but not making things argumentative. Um, but at the same time, uh, like today's question is more pastoral because of what I talked about during the gospel moment. This is the preaching moment, and we want to make it not just informational, but transformational. And so, um, so with that, uh, we're going to jump right into today's question. So, so why is the existence of God the dilemma of our time, like the question, the issue of all time, honestly. It's not just our time. Why is that the case? And the answer, we're going to look at it uh, three, in three things. We're going we're gonna to make an argument for God. That's where we're going to spend almost all of our time today. We're going to talk about resistance to God. That's going to be a bulk of our time next week, but we're going to touch on it today. And then we're going to talk about worship of God, and that's how we'll close our time with communion, because we're here not just to be um, informed, but transformed. So let's jump right in to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So open up your Bibles to Genesis 1 and 2. Our first thing is the argument for God. So the argument for God, Genesis 1, is really easy to find. It's the first page of your Bible, so that's why I had you turn there first. We're not going to spend a ton of time, even though it was today's reading, going through all of Genesis 1 and 2. We have taught through the book of Genesis. We've taught through Genesis 1 multiple times. Today I'm just using it as a springboard. But here, look at what it says in Genesis 1. So this is the arguments for God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So here's an argument for the existence of God. In the beginning, God. Doesn't sound like much of an argument, does it? We'll get there in a few minutes. God sp- recognize this. God spends zero time trying to def- or, um, argue his existence. He starts with, in the beginning, I am. Right now, that word there isn't the, isn't the word Yahweh yet. It's Elohim. It's the plural form of God. But even later on in the story, for those of us that know the story of the Bible, when he reveals himself to Moses as the I am, as Yahweh, as what we think of as capital L-O-R-D, Lord, it, he uses a verb. And the verb in Hebrew is the verb of being. He, the, 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 when, God, when Moses says, what do you call yourself? He says, call, what should I tell people your name is? He says, tell them I am the God who always is. That's really what I am means. I am the I am. I am the one who isn't, I didn't become, and I'm not becoming, I am. I always am. I have always been. And that's ultimately the argument that we're going to make, and we're going to use most of our time. So we're going to come back to Genesis just in a minute, in just a minute, but turn to um, the, the um, calling passage that Brian read for us. Turn to Psalm 19, because Psalm 19 tells us how God, re- God just spends very little time arguing his existence, but he reveals himself to the world primarily two ways. And Psalm 19 tells us what both of those ways are, so that's really where we're going to spend our time. You're going to also read through Psalm 19 as one of your daily readings this week as well. So I'm going to pick it up. Psalm 19, it's in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 19, verse 1. It's a Psalm of David. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day by day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. So he's talking about how, how the stars speak without words about God's existence. To the end of the world, in them he has set a tent for the sun. Isaiah says that he called them all out by name and named them. 
which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So there's two ways that God reveals himself, and we see them in the psalm. There is general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is the revelation of created things. General revelation is what, is what David is talking about in verses 1 through 6. Just that, that God has created all things. And, 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 and we're going to kind of break this down a little bit into some finer arguments. So in this idea of general revelation, how God reveals himself generally in creation, there is in, in the things that are made, there's a, there's a thing called a cosmological argument. It's the cause, I, I, think, I think it's going to go, yeah, is it up there? It should be up there. There's, there's a cosmological argument, and it's, and it's just talking about, yeah, I, th- I thought I had it up there. Um, it's talking about how it's this idea of, of first cause, like, like this, this, this concept, even scientifically, that you can't get something from nothing. So no matter how far back you go about, about like how things came into being, whether you believe in the Big Bang, whether you believe in the multiverse, we'll get there in a few minutes, whatever it is, if, there's, there has to have been a first cause. That is a scientific law. Scientists believe that. But the problem is, what, do you, how do you, what, what, what created the thing that created the Big Bang? Now what we would say even if you're a Big Bang person, we would say God created it. Well, then that leads to the question of who created God. But here's the difference. The differ- and this is one of those things that, you're, that you, the, the difference you won't accept until, you, until the Holy Spirit starts to enlighten your heart. Right? But the difference is we've moved from the physical to the spiritual. God is spirit, and those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth, is what the Bible says. So we've moved to a whole different realm. Science talks, proves, shows, you, get, you cannot get something for nothing. You have to have, it, it was Einstein's math equals mc squared. It was this whole idea of you have either matter and you have energy, and it's a zero-sum game. And you can't have those things created out of nothing. But God, so the psalmist says in Psalm 90, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Forever. God is outside of time. Science deals with, the, the physical world deals with time. Right? Now, now think about this. Like, like even, the, even the passage that, that Sean read in, in Daniel, and I didn't know he was going to read it, is talking about Nebuchadnezzar talks about from everlasting. When he finally repents, he's like, from everlasting, this one is God. Even he gets it, but we don't. We go, wait a minute, but who created God? So I have an example that I want to show you about this idea of first cause. Some of you have seen this before. Evan, hustle up here, would you please? So I have up here, I have a house made by my daughters out of Legos. I have in this bag the exact same Legos, not just the same number of Legos, the exact same Legos. So this could make this exactly. So here's what I want, because I, I called Evan up because I know he's a Lego guru. So, so Evan, take that bag and start shaking. No, no, don't take that bag. Hold it up and start shaking it. Come on, man, make it. Come on. So, so I'm going to shake. Now, now we look and we go, this seems ludicrous to us, right? You can stop for a second. You say, we could shake this bag forever, and if by ch- and just by chance, is it ever going to come to this? Well, but you know what we might say is we might say, well, that's not really fair for me to do that to you because this bag is so small, there's not enough room for the pieces to move around. So hold that for a second. So we're going to put the pieces in a bigger bag. Now what science would say, so open that up and dump it in here. So what science would say 
is the, what, here's what they do. The, the, the bigger bag represents more time, more space. The secret sauce of science is just keep making things longer. Because they cannot figure out how to make it work otherwise. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself. So start shaking that bag. Okay, so now what I want you to do, because I don't want you to distract all your friends back there, and you'll probably just distract most of these people right here at my table. So you're going to come sit right here, and what I want you to do is just sit there and shake that bag until it becomes this. No, what I really want you to do <laughs> is I want, I want you to take that model, that design, and I want you to make that look like that while I'm talking and still pay attention. You got it? Okay, go. You got like two minutes. No, I'm just kidding. We'll see how far he gets. It's not a very nice thing. It's, it's, it's just, but guys, th there's this argument of first cause. What made the house? Like we look at a building and we know there was a builder. When I show you this, you know somebody put it together. You know it didn't just happen by chance. You see a painting, you know there's a painter, and so on and so on. And yet with creation, we look and go, I can see how that happened by accident. I did that for years. Well, it wasn't really by accident. It was science and molecules and DNA. And, and, and we'll get there in just a minute. But guys, under, understand that, that the problem, so, that, so this cosmological argument about the existence of God is that because there is something, something had to make it. Science does not have an answer for that. Theology, not just Christianity, but theology is the only thing that has an answer for that because God is outside of time. The other argument is the teleological argument. And the teleological argument just doubles down on the cosmological one. Here's what it means. It says, it says that not only is, is God proven by creation, but he's proven because creation is crazy intricate. In other words, that Lego building, if, if, it, if it were just four gray blocks, you might go, well, maybe it could come together with enough shaking, right? But it's this idea of this teleological argument is, this, is the idea of well, on what you'll like intelligent design. That, that when you look at creation fairly, you understand that it had to be designed by somebody. Now, I, now before we can get too far into the weeds on this, which we already are. I said don't look at my watch. Uh, Kenzie, come up here. So we have to understand a concept in, in science. It's called, or gambling, either one. It's called, you can come up here. It's called chance, right? This idea of chance. Because otherwise this doesn't, because if things come together by chance, we have to understand what chance is. So here's a die right here. How many sides are on a die? So if I hand this to this lovely lady right here and I say, I want you to roll a one, hang on, what are the chances that she's going to roll a one? Okay, I have a dollar for you if you can roll a one, one and six. Go. Keep it on the table. Okay, well, I'll give you one more shot. Oh, keep it on the table. That's a three. Oh, and it fell off. Yeah, you're going to have to barely roll. My table's kind of small. It's okay. So maybe we can block it like this. Here we go. So, okay, hang on, hang on. So she couldn't do it. So it's okay. Why? Because it's a one, it's a one and six chance. I only gave her two. Hey, just roll any number. Just roll. Okay, oh, you got a one, and, and it worked out it was a one that time. So here's your dollar. Now, here's the thing. If you can roll two ones in a row, not counting this one, but you can roll two in a row, I'll give you two more dollars. <laughs> or, but if you don't do it, you have to give me that one. Do you want, now, now, what are the odds, <laughs> what's the chance, what's the chance that Kinsey's going to be able to roll two, num two of the same number in a row? One in 36, because it's six times six is... 36, thank you, bunch of homeschool freaks. Okay, so do, do you want to take me up on that offer? 
Sure. She's like, just tell me what you want me to do. Okay, so try to roll. So just, so just try to roll two ones in a row. Ah, that's it. Give me the dollar. Okay, but let's just, you know what? I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to say, if you can just roll another six, I'll give you all three bucks. She did it. Awesome. Well done. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Awesome. Helps make my point. She, I mean, she, like, well, first of all, somebody get her in a car and take her to Vegas. Second of all, okay, just kidding. We do not promote gambling here at Crosstrain. Here, here's the thing. Two times in a row, by chance, it, it comes up, right? I'm assuming that's why people go to Vegas. I have no idea. I have a $100 bill right here. If you want to take this die and you want to roll this 70 times in a row, I will give you this $100. But if you don't do it, I want those three bucks back. Which one are you going to take? <laughs> 70 times. Not seven, 70 times. You have to roll the same number 70 times in a row. Okay, the same number 70 times in a row. Is there, is there any chance you're going to be able to do that? No. no. Okay, what if she could? What, would, what if she's over there and she's like, man, I'm taking this chump's money because I just keep rolling sixes, right? What would we assume happened? Something's up. Somebody did something. Either the dice got rigged. Guys, the fact that we're sitting here is evidence that the dice is rigged. Right? By chip, because here's the thing. So you can go sit down. You can take the $3. Sit down. I wasn't going to give you $100. Yeah, thank you. I'm not stupid. Um, okay, guys, the, the, the reality is that, that, that us being here represents that the dice is rigged because the, the, the chance, people have done this math way smarter than me. Six times six is 36. I can do. 70, like to roll, the, the odds of rolling a number 70 times actually comes to 1 times 10 to the 55th power. That's a 1 with 55 zeros after it. That's not a trillion dollars. That's like into the quadrillions of something, right? Like it is, all, but here's the thing. That is the exact chance of, some, of stuff like the gravitational constant. The gravitational constant is the, is the strength of gravity. Any stronger, and the universe would just suck itself in. Any weaker, and the universe would blow itself apart. That, that the chance of it being exactly where it is is, one in, is is rolling the dice 70 times. 1 times 10 to the 55th. The same thing is true for so many other areas of science. The chance of it happening is so small. Guys, understand this. That, that even, even people that are not Christians, not, they're not theists of any kind. They're not ready to say God, any kind of God exists. Have come to understand it is not possible. Not math, mathematicians, not even mathematicians, it is not possible mathematically that all of this happened. And I'll show you why in just a minute if you'll just hang in there with me. But I want to show you there was this thing years ago it came out. It was called the millions monkey theory. Anybody heard of it? If you had a million monkeys and a million typewriters and you taught them how to pound out the keys and you put them in a room for, a certain, for an indefinite period of time, they would just by chance pound out the words of Shakespeare, like a whole sonnet of Shakespeare, just by chance. I want to show you how that worked. Here's a short clip. This is a thousand monkeys working in a thousand typewriters. Soon, they'll have written the greatest novel known to man. It was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. You stupid monkey. 
Okay, you're obviously making fun of it. Never actually seen a whole episode of The Simpsons just because I never have. I don't know, but I, I, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. I don't know. Guys, somebody did this math. For, for a million monkeys to type out just two random four-letter words would take them five days. Two random four-letter words. Now, take those, take those words and multiply that out. And you go, okay, well, I can see you doing that math. But, but those words don't make a sentence. Now, start putting them into a sentence, and you go, hold on a second. How is that even possible? Let alone a sonnet or a whole story. Like, how is that going to happen? Guys, the, the, the second law of thermodynamics, so, so first of all, we're going to come back to it. He actually, we'll get there in a minute. He pulled this thing off. The second law of thermodynamics says, well, in fact, let's just come up and, and get this over with right now. So, so he shook it. He shook the bag. Yeah. Amen, brother. Well done. He shook the, guys, first of all, that was crazy time. Exactly the same way. Now, guys, we, we, the, the reality is that, that this does not happen unless some higher power imposes its will on the mess that was in this bag. Right, so you can take those back to your, you can't have them, but you can take those back for now. Um, and go back and sit with your lovely family. Thank you, Evan, for doing that. But here's the reason, here's the reason even science doesn't believe that, that taking that bag of, of Legos and, and, and it randomly coming together is because it, it even science has this thing called the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics says this, that things left unto themselves go from order, structure, to disorder. That is, that is a provable scientific fact. When you leave things alone by themselves, they eventually get, they deteriorate, they decay. We know that about every area of our lives. Your room does not get cleaner by being left by itself, right? Only when you impose your will on it and clean your room, young people, does it actually get clean, right? It, gets, it seems to just get messy all on its own, right? So, guys, that is the, the law, and, 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 and yet... Somehow, when we're, when, and this is true for me too, when we're talking about evolution and we say, oh, but we have gone from this, from this blob of whatever in the universe, or this, or this, take it just to the earth, or this ooze that is in the earth, and we have somehow created this amazing structure and order called our, even just called, forget the whole universe, just our earth, or how about the human body? And somehow that just happened by chance. Even though it goes against the second law of thermodynamics and every other part of science, and nobody denies it. And we're going to get to why sometime tomorrow. Um, I'm just kidding. The second and third points go really, go really fast. But guys, understand, here, here's, here's an, I, not, I, I want you to I impress upon you, and I'm not going to take the time to turn back to Genesis. I was, but let's, let's just, Genesis 1, how does God create? He speaks. Does he speak and just go, throw up? He speaks words. He speaks order. Right? He creates. Day by day, he's creating different things. Right? He creates light. He creates the, the atmosphere. He creates the plants. He creates the oceans and the land. He creates the, the fish in the land and the birds in the, or the fish in the sea and the birds in the air. Then he creates animals and he creates Adam and Eve in our image, as Kinsey read for us at the, um, right before I started in, in, in Genesis 1, 28 and 30, through 31. Guys, understand, you, you are the pinnacle. Here, you are the, here's my next example. You are the pinnacle of God's created order. 
as, as amazing as the stars are, and he called them all out by name, as beautiful as the Grand Canyon is, as, as, as wonderful as I love being in the Redwoods, you, you, you make all of those things pale in comparison for, for, for lots of physical reasons, but ultimately because you, are, you and I are the only ones made in the image of God. That's why he took so long knitting our DNA together. Do you know that if I took all the DNA out of your body, Alex, and I sucked it out of every, every one of your cells has the entire genetic code for everything that you are. Every one of your cells has the entire genetic code for everything that you are. So just because it's a skin cell doesn't mean that it's only got the genetic code for a skin cell. It's got the genetic code for everything. If I sucked every one of those DNA molecules out of your body, it would, fill this, it would fit this spoon. Everything that he really is would fill this spoon. But because God is just gracious, he allowed me to blow Alex's DNA up to be the size of this rope. So this is, what a, this is a DNA molecule. Now, a DNA molecule that was blown up this big, so if all of his DNA fits into a spoon, guess how much, guess what this would fit into? If, if all of his DNA was blown up the size of this rope? The Grand Canyon. 50 times. Your DNA, blown up the size of this, of this rope, would fill the Grand Canyon with this 50 times. Why? And now, now, now think, I know I'm, I, I skipped a whole, like, what is DNA? It's a, it's, it's, a few little, it's a few little building blocks, it's a few little Lego pieces that all fit together in different orders, not randomly, to code for certain parts of who you are. And all of that one strand, like, one of that is going to fill the Grand Canyon 50 times. Guys, now here's, here's the crazy part. So th there's this idea, so not, so not only... Do you have this problem, like the, the teleological argument taught, like a te intelligent design, but you have to have um, the ability to, like, like for something to happen by chance. So here's, here's probably the best example I can give, and I'm just going to take the time to do it. So, so let's, say that, let's say this was Doug's DNA strand, just one of his strands. And, and what happens is on different parts of the strand are the different codes for different things. So let's say this, is part, this, is, this little part right here is a skin cell, and then somewhere over here is nerves, and then somewhere down here is, a, is, is muscle is a certain muscle. So what, what evolutionists believe, what I taught was that we all came out of some primordial sludge, right? And the way that also, and I'm not, I haven't even gotten to monkeys or, or salamanders grew feet or whatever. I'm talking about just some kind of like funky little amoeba looking sludge thing. Now, what they would say, so, so how does that get from there to a human eye? Well, here's what an evolutionist would say. They would say that there was a, gene a genetic on the, on the part that was whatever that funky thing's skin was, like its surface, there was a genetic mutation. A mutation is a mistake. So right there, that is the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, but it happened to be a mistake that was beneficial because that allowed whatever that little organism was to sense light. It was photo, it was photo, like, uh, photo sense, um, sensitive. So it sensed light. And what they would say is the fact that that, that that skin cell has somehow now mistakenly morphed into a light-sensing skin cell, it allowed the organism an advantage. It's called survival of the fittest because now it could sense where the light was so it could get to the top of the water where most of the food was. What's wrong with that? Well, let me tell you what's wrong with that. If for that to happen, not only did there have to be a mutation in my skin, in the skin section of the animal, but somewhere else, at the exact same time, a mutation would have to happen that would cause whatever the nerves were in this organism to mutate in a way that was connected to that skin cell and then carry that message 
to some other part of the body of that, of that organism, which then, oh, by the way, would have to mutate into some part of a brain-like thing that had the ability to receive that information, process it, and then, oh, by the way, a whole other mutation somewhere else in the DNA molecule at exactly the same time that would then allow that organism to use whatever little flipper, what do they call flagellum things that made like amoeba swim, right, to make those things move towards the light. And, guys, and that is just a, an incredibly dumbed down version of what it really takes. So, so think about from the human eye. I've spent a lot of time in optometrists lately, so the eye is like heavy on my brain. So for your, for your, your eye is the most intricate thing in the, it's crazy. And every part of your eye, your, op, your retina, your optic nerve, the part of your brain that processes visu visualization, the part of your brain that then takes that processing and does stuff with it to allow you to act, every one of those things is a completely different section of your genetic, of your DNA. And for, all, for, and for any one of those things to be a benefit to an organism, all of those things would have to evolve together simultaneously, or it wouldn't have mattered, and that organism would have died like everybody else. Guys, the reason they, the secret sauce, and I've got to move on, the reason the secret sauce of, of evolution is time is because they just keep doing the math, and they go, okay, so for this... For this um, mutation and this mutation and this mutation all these things that then, then it takes us just like the dice thing but it's way more than one to the 55th power it's like one to the quadrillionth power the math does not work it is not possible it is it is not mathematically scientifically possible that we evolved apart from god interfering in some way I haven't come to a Christian God. I haven't come to the biblical God. I'm just saying some, something had to act. And even agnostic and atheistic scientists are starting to say that. You say, well, why don't I ever hear that? And the answer is because it doesn't fit the narrative. Guys, the narrative, that, what narrative? The world's narrative. The world's narrative from the beginning has been get rid of God. Why? And that's, and that's ultimately where we kind of need to, to begin to land this plane. Guys, believing in God is not irrational. It, it goes beyond reason. Like there's a part of, of, of coming to faith in Christ, coming to faith in just a God, that God exists, that goes beyond our intellectual ability to reason through it, and we'll, and we'll get there. But guys, believing in, ev I'm, I'm, just, I'm here to tell you, and I'm, and I'm not judging, I was them. Believing that, we, that evolution is the way we could get here is scientifically irrational now. And nobody's talking about it because it doesn't fit the narrative. Now, you might be sitting here right now and you're one of those skeptics. And you're one of those people like I was. And if I'd have heard this message 20-something years ago, I'd have been like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not, I, I know I'm just kind of giving like the simple verse. I get it. Guys, understand here, here, bottom line, I don't try to convince an atheist that God exists. Here's my goal. If I can just get them to say, hey, we're on the same, you, you're telling me that, that my belief in God is checking my brain at the door. It's, it's simple. To, you're just believing by faith. All I want to, I just want to get them to admit that so is theirs. Right? There comes a point in every belief system where at the end, there, it just, you just have to have faith in what you believe in. And so if you're sitting here today, or you're listening online or a podcast or something, you're going, but I just don't believe that. The question becomes, why? Why don't you believe that? 
Oh, man. Okay, so uh, go back to, go back to um, Psalm 19. See, how am I going to do this? So I talked about general revelation. That's creation. Special revelation, it goes faster. I have, th- I have three quick arguments for it, and I think they're a little more obvious for us um, in the church. But look at where, where, where David takes it. So I'm in, in, chapter, in verse 7 of, of Psalm 19, he says, the, Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And, and, and Brian read the whole thing, so I'm just going to read one more verse. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules or the decrees or the commands of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Guys, understand that the, the other way God reveals himself, and, most, and the most specific way God reveals himself, is in his word. It's, and, and, and even as a God-mocking atheist, you look and you go, but there is a moral right and wrong. So out of this idea of special revelation, the moral argument is a great argument for the existence of God. Nobody, understand this, even with everything that's going on in our culture today, which there's nothing new under the sun, frankly, people, right? Everybody, or there is no person who says people should just be allowed to live however they want. Nobody really believes that. That is the narrative of, of the current culture, that, that we should, you know, we should, you're just making me accept your morals. Guys, like, you, you want to you impose your moral laws? All laws are moral. All laws are moral. The, the law of putting on my seatbelt is a moral law. It may not sound like it, but it is. It's a moral law that says for the good of society and for the good of my own health and it's because of my own ignorance, they're going to make me put... That's a moral law that's saying your, your life is valuable. Like all laws are moral. The only question is, whose morals? All of the moral arguments roll back to this. Who said? Guys, was Hitler right? Who said? Who says? Guys, if there's no God... If it really is, Darwinianism teaches, evolution teaches the survival of the fittest. He was nuts. But from a worldly perspective, he was a fit dude. He was controlling the greatest, the, the largest empire on the globe at the time. Before we, before we ratcheted up things. Guys, who's to say we should have stopped him? Well, of course we should have stopped him. I mean, of course we should have. But who said? Is hurting children wrong? Yeah, but who said? We all know that. But who said? Now we start pushing a little bit more and we go, okay, but what about marriage? Is same-sex marriage wrong? Who says? Is polygamy wrong? Who says? Is bestiality wrong? Who says? Do you see where that goes? If there is no, if there is no truth outside of us, the only truth becomes the strongest get to decide what's true. How's that working for us? Not real well. Okay, so that's, that's the moral argument. Another one is the historical um, or probability or prophecy argument. And again, I won't spend a lot of time on this because we, we put handouts in your Bible um, multiple times that talk about this. But guys, understand that there are, um, I'm just going to skip to, there are, um, there are 1,093 prophecies in the Old Testament of Christ coming, that Christ has fulfilled. 1,093. The chances of any one person just by chance fulfilling just eight of those thousand plus, the chance of that is one times ten to the seventeenth power. So for Christ to come and fulfill all those prophecies, just eight of the, of the thousand, is mathematically impossible. 
unless it's true. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, the Bible was made up. How do you believe those stories? Here's what, I, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts where atheists and, and Christians are debating each other, right? Sometimes healthily, sometimes not. Very brilliant people, way smarter than me. And one of the things that always strikes me is, is how like, the atheist will get to this point of going, but the only reason you believe that is because you believe this myth that is backed up by this historical document that was made up by people. And I'm like, and the only reason you believe what you believe is because it's backed up by some, like, like historical document that you can't prove either. Right? They have no more scientific proof for evolution. They have no more, we have no more scientific proof for Julius Caesar living than we do for Jesus living. And yet nobody doubts Julius Caesar lived and did what he did. Why? Because he's not telling us to do anything. Right? And then the last one is your experiential and personal argument. And although we don't want to, guys, we don't, we don't want to be ruled as Christians by our experience, and it's why I put it last, we don't want to deny those things either. Right? Like, like the fact that I was a God-mocking atheist for 20-something years, and I would read these words, and they made no sense to me, and I had no interest in them, and, I, and, and what I did understand about them, I just saw as a God who was angry and vengeful, and I read these exact same words, and I go, oh my goodness, he is so patient. He is so loving. How, does, how do you explain that? The only way is by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. It takes, guys, understand this. Believing in God, I'm going to finish up this point, and I promise we'll get out of here before three. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> guys, the, the only, it is not irrational to believe in God. It is irrational to believe in, in, in a strict form of evolution. It does not mean that God exists. It just means that it is not irrational. It is beyond just our reason. 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 God the Father has to take the Word of God and the Spirit of God and apply it to your heart for us to come to believe in the Son of God. That is supernatural. That is outside of the world of science. You cannot argue someone into believing in Jesus. But what you can do is understand what your arguments might be. Uh, the second talking points question, I'm just going to touch on it. This idea is, um, is this idea of like context is king. And it's, it's one of the ways we look at the Bible. So, so how did God start the story? In the beginning, God. How does God start the, the gospel of John? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything about how he came to be. He just says, in the beginning, me. How does he end the story in Revelation 21 and 22? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come, and I am making all things new. He doesn't. He doesn't justify his existence. Why doesn't God spend any time justifying his existence? Well, one, because he's God and he doesn't have to. But two, because frankly, if you have open minds, like if, 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 if you just are open to what God would do, it's obvious he exists. Back to the Lego thing. It's obvious he exists. We just have blinders on. And that, and that is the second point. So the resistance to God. So we have this argument for God. So what is the resistance to God? And I'm just going to put it in, an, here's, because we did spend, it was a long time ago, but in Romans, it's the Romans chapter 1 argument. I was going to have you turn there, I won't. Roman, if you're taking notes, write down Romans 1, 18 through 25. It's where, it's where Paul starts the argument. He talks about creation. And he says, guys, remember, Romans was written 2,000 years ago, so nothing we see today is new. And he says, guys, they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We, we, you, me, the world, Apart from Christ, 
has exchanged the truth of God for a lie and begun to worship the created thing rather than the thing that created it, God. That's the human story. That is what was true in, in the garden. We'll see it next week in Genesis chapter 3. It was true during the flood of Noah. It was true during the, the, um, the, Babylonian, the, the tower in Babylon. It's true today. It is constantly about exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Now, guys, my heart, though, for people that resist God, the reason we resist God is because we want to be him. Every one of those stories in Scripture points that out, but it's true, and I don't need Scripture to point that out. I just know me. I want to be my own God. Right? The, the, our, my resistance to God is me. Guys, it's, it's why, um, I, will, I will cover this more in detail next week, but it's why, like, for example, in, in um, Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, where he documents from the Enlightenment period all the way through to today that we get to this, that, that everything from, um, from Nietzsche to Karl Marx to Charles Darwin to um, Sigmund Freud, it was all about helping people understand or um, worship themselves. But the way to do that was to get rid of God. Guys, do you understand that when, when countries wanted to embrace Marxism, they didn't teach Marxism first. They taught evolution because they had to get rid of God in order for people to believe in Marxism. And so evolution, they're like, hey, here's the reason you don't need God is because um, evolution makes sense of this. All, because whether it's evolution or Marxist thinking or what we see going on in our world today, this is not the cause. It's a symptom. The cause is us. The cause is our propensity to want to be our own God. Right? Our propensity to deny God's existence. And, and, and what we have to understand, and I beg you to, to remember this as we're going through not just today but this whole series, that the God of this world, Satan, not our God, the God of this world, has darkened the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the glory of the gospel. It's not their fault. I mean, yes, our pride is more than happy to go, I want to be God. Mine is today to this day. But the truth is, they are also being darkened. And that leads us to our last point. What, I, I, we're going to skip the last talking points question and just get to, um, as the music team comes up, so why is, so the question I, I we're, we're talking about today is, so why is the existence of God the most important question in our world? It's because everything else, it's, it's, not, it's what I said at the beginning. This is not an argument for creation, it's an argument for control. Because it's a matter of worship. We were created to be worshipers. Tim Keller said, um, Tim Keller said it this way, we don't get to decide to be worshipers. Everyone worships. The only choice is what is what you the only choice you get is what to worship. Everyone who's ever lived is worshiping something or someone. Moment by moment, frankly. Our only choice is is what are we choosing to worship? And we were made, so back to it, it's all it, it all comes back to Genesis 1 and 2 and then what happens and we'll see this next week in Genesis 3. We were made in his image to be worshipers of him. You and I, the pinnacle of his creation, were made to be worshipers. And yet our flesh wants to deny that very, his very fingerprint on our, on our body. It wants to deny his fingerprints all over creation. 
So how do we go out of here and make a difference? And, and, I, and thank you guys for hanging in there with me for so long. Here's how we make it. May I just suggest what was prayed at the beginning. That we would be people of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit. How do, we, how do, how do you make your life a living testimony? We don't have to figure it out. You don't have to know a ton of stuff. You don't have to remember all the stuff I just shared with you. You know how you make your life a living testimony? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. That's freaky to people. Why? Because it's supernatural. So may we just be people that are that know why we believe what we believe, are able to engage people, but first and foremost are people of much fruit. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for um, that truth. I thank you for the truth that, that we are people of the Spirit, that the Word of God is, is used by the Spirit of God to conform us to the image of the Son of God. And so what I do pray that you would remind us that, that, is, that as we walk out of here today and we, um, and we engage with people or we just look up and see a tree, we would go, I see God there. Because that's the only way it got there. And then, and then we would see people as people in need, as people in need of you. And, and they don't even know it. Lord, let us be people of the Spirit. In Jesus' name.